A very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards living a better life. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational messages and transformational stories out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a lady from the UK, from London, a lady by the name of Hina Solanke. Hina, very warm welcome to you again. Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting me on here. Um, It's lovely to be here again and speak with you. So I say again, listeners, because um, you may recall Hina has been a guest previously. And one of the things we spoke about on that particular episode was we, we, we seeded in this, this thing called contribution. Now, that's an interesting one because contribution is the highest human need we have of the six human needs. The model that's been made famous, world famous by Tony Robbins. And what Hina have decided and I have decided to do is have a little bit of a closer look at this and, and share some experiences around this six human needs model. Because I can, from my own point of view, I can vouch, and I have done on previous podcasts, how understanding these six human needs, because everything we do in life, we do to meet a need. But what if we don't know what those needs are? Is it that we just amble from one situation to another and then get confused, overwhelmed, and then we lash out with blame? Why does this always happen to me? So hopefully by Hina and I discussing generally on this this first one of the six human needs, and we are going to do then a deep dive individually into the six human needs to have a look at those more closely, share our experiences, as I've already said. So we're going to set the ball rolling, Hina, with this... Uh, just this general overview of of what it means and what it entails. So, Great. you okay with that? Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so maybe a good starting point, listeners, is uh, and you've I know you've heard these many times before, but no apologies for repeating. Mm-hmm. What are the six human needs? So, they are the need for certainty, the need for uncertainty or variety, as it's sometimes called. And then the need for significance, needing that we know, you know, knowing that we need to matter in life. That's the third one. The fourth one is love and connection. The fifth one is the need for growth. And as I've already introduced at the top of this conversation, the highest human need is the need for contribution. So... How it works is we have the four basic. The first four are our basic core human needs. And these those need to be in place. That foundation needs to be in place before we can then meet need five, which is growth, and meet uh, need six, which is contribution. So the latter two are known as our higher stroke spiritual needs. So, so there we go. So I'd like to start here, if I may. Sure by sharing how my, for decades, my drink addiction okay. met my six human needs. Wow, yeah. And okay. what, co- and then maybe you could reciprocate or make sense of it or challenge or, or do whatever you deem is appropriate. Yeah. So, 
So it's been well well put out there, listeners, has it not on on these podcasts, on this Mastering the Game of Life podcast around my uh, my label. I'm going to use that term, my label of of alcohol addiction for for four decades, from the age of ten to fifty. And so let's look at how my need for certainty was met through my drinking. My need for certainty was met by my drinking, by the fact that I could, I knew what time I would go to the pub, who I would sit with, what I would talk about, my routine. I created a almost military-like precision way of living, even to the point where I would then come off the drink. So in the earlier years, I would have six months on the drink and six months off. I had that deep-rooted psychological dependency. I needed to control everything. Why? Why did I need that certainty? Because of my upbringing at the hands of my stepfather, which left me very, very uncertain within my world, very vulnerable, very insecure, very frightened, very fear-driven. I needed to drag control back. And the best way I could do that, and I wasn't aware of what I was doing at the time, I just did it. This was raw, brutal survival. And so by drinking and me controlling the situation totally, some of the examples I've already shared, that was, and even what I drink, all the detail, as I say, was like a military operation. So before I proceed, Hina, any thoughts around what I've said around drinking and certainty? Yeah, it makes total sense uh, about the control. Um, certainty is that also is known as confidence and and control, like you said. So I think it's I think it definitely relates. Um, I have uh, you know a, not a, a, something else, um, you know, but as you were speaking it just made me realize um it's exactly what i was doing um so i unfortunately uh, came from a, a turbulent marriage uh, it was uh, psychological and um, physically abusive and that left me really really um fearful for my children so i've got two amazing sons and the one thing i know i did and have only really let go in the last two years is not drinking but that control and certainty is I would never ask for outside help I wanted to be in control completely as much as I could on on how things went their upbringing who you know just everything really uh, you know if they needed something I would get it I didn't want any outside help um, and that was my way of controlling the situation Mm. So there's a perfect parallel there, isn't there? And that's yeah. not, you know, what you've said, Hina, what I've said is it's almost textbook stuff. It's yeah. almost textbook stuff. Yeah. You know, I've spoken to so many people over so many years around, you know, whatever the particular challenge has been, but the outcome's the same. I will drag that back and I will control the situation because yeah. of, you know, those external situations, be it another partner, be it, you know, whatever, uh, in my case, my stepfather, all that had been taken away from me, stripped away. Yeah. So, okay, so let's move on to the second one then, uncertainty, or as I say, it's often called variety. Mm-hmm. So when I was drinking... I could actually, I had several what I called party tricks. Okay. 
and <laughs> some of them I'll keep off air. In fact, <laughs> most of them I'll keep off air. Right. But I will share a couple of them. One of them was, I thought I was Mario Lanza, the great tenor singer. Right. And there was a time in my younger days when I could actually hit that high C note. Wow. And to sing something like Nissan Dorma was one of my party tricks. And depending on how I was drunkenness-wise, that that sounds such a clunky word, drunkenness-wise, I'd either get my beer paid for for the rest of the day (laughs) or told to shut up and leave the pub. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that produced for me a lot of uncertainty. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know when I was going to burst out into song. But I knew it was going to happen. Or another thing would happen, an alternative. I would start a fight. Depending what mood I was in, what space I was in, who I took exception. If somebody came into my space as a stranger when I was drinking, who are you? Don't come here challenging me in my world with my friends that I'm controlling. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Bang. The the tables went up. That was a big element of uncertainty because when as much as I had that ability to control the the logistics of the day, I'll be in the pub for nine. I'll leave the pub at midnight, whatever, day after day after day. Same people, same conversation, same routine, same predictability. Yeah. The unpredictability was in the fact that, right, I wonder what's going to kick off today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that hit my uncertainty at a very high level as well. Wow. So when did you come out of this? Um, Just over 10 years ago. Wow. Well done. And is that because you've given up drinking? Completely. I'm, t- I'm uh, nearly 11 years dry now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, so there's this whole kind of thing around, yet again, how my need for uncertainty or variety was being met. Mm. Any thoughts on that from your own perspective? Yeah, I was trying to uh, think of, you know, my end here. Now, I, I suppose it's, it's very different. It's it's just something that I've always been aware of. I'm extremely emotional. Um, and that's, it's, it's a great thing to be in touch with your emotions. But obviously, it's it's not a great thing. because um, you, you sometimes want to keep your emotions, you know, you, you need to, uh, I wouldn't say keep them in the box, but just keep them to yourself. You don't always want to be displaying your emotions, uh, depending, on, depending on the situation where you are, etc. Now, I've, um, I've actually uh, lost both my parents, and I still get quite emotional over it. I'm you know, I'm, it's, it's a long time ago, but, you know, I loved them a bit. So, you know, I get very emotional about it. And my brother got married about three years ago, two years ago. And I did a reading, I read a poem and everything was absolutely fine. But um, they, just before my reading, they were just uh, honouring the people that weren't there on the day. And of course, mentioned my mum and dad. So I don't know whether that was the trigger point. Or because I knew already that I had to keep my emotions together. Um, but anyway, during the reading, I, I got really emotional and I couldn't stop crying. I just about was able to say the poem. It was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing that I, I couldn't stop crying for about half an hour afterwards. Um, you know, not literally crying, but just tears kept rolling down my face. 
Um, and that happens, that can happen. I can go into cathedrals. I've actually mentioned that in one of my book. I get, sometimes I get really overwhelmed, even if things are so beautiful or spiritual and I've connected. The first reaction from me will be tears. And I'm aware of this and it's like, it's just, oh, you know, it's not something I can, well, maybe I can do something about, but yeah, that's the best, that's the best example I could give uh, in that situation. Mm, the um, the uncertainty of emotions and I think that's something that that comes to call on all of us yeah so but it's interesting isn't it how you've got the thread of you know the the whole relationship thing you know I've my relationship with drink your relationship with you know your what you've referred to there firstly your marriage and then um, you know your your mother your father yeah. So yours is relationship based, which I think when we talk about things in general, in life in general, everything surely is relationship based anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All of, true. For yeah. all of us. Yeah. You know, people often say to me, give me the one, give me one piece of advice, Paul. And I don't like giving advice. I don't, I don't think we have the right to give people advice personally. It's just, I, I have this thing around labels. I suppose, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, you know, as one that created labels and boxes as part of his certainty for survival for so many years, I've now gone the other way. It's like strip out the parameters, strip out the walls. Yes. You know, if if two people love each other, for example, does it matter if they're X, Y or Z? You know, all this social conditioning of should do this, should do that, strip it out. Because I've lived within that that goldfish bowl, that prison yeah for so many years and and yeah. i realize now that the constraining nature of it for example so okay so let's move on to the third one then significance mm. let's turn the tables now listeners and ask hina to share something where she was meeting her need for significance mm. that's i can almost yeah think of something straight away there um, and I still do and only have just done uh, a 10k uh, run and it's never about the 10k it's about finishing and getting that badge for me I, I think from young I was you, you know I, was, I come from an Indian family you know you expected to my sister worked for a bank uh, you know brother had a good job and I was always the creative one so that wasn't really quite um a job or wasn't a way to be you know um but you know I was a creative one and I I wouldn't say I <clears throat> let my parents down but they were always like okay you know what's she going to do or you know my brother even made a comment once because I did I was doing uh, you know just some Asian modeling at some point and it was like when are you going to get a proper job or that's all you're good for um so I've always always tried to be successful in everything I do and I suppose especially in business um, and everything, you know, in everything I do. So whether it be a 10K run, I want that badge after, you know, it makes me feel amazing. I've accomplished it. It's made me feel significant. It makes me feel like I'm somebody. Um, you don't have to obviously do all those things to make yourself look like you are somebody because everybody's unique and we are all important and we all have our own strengths and weaknesses. So that's a little bit, um, uh, you know, of my you know, significance, but it'll be in almost everything I do. But also I think that's the competitiveness in me as well. So it comes out a little bit uh, in that way. But it, it, yeah, 
I would say that's my interpretation. Hmm. Okay. So for me, my significance came, um, well, in the drinking context, directly. I'll give two examples, one directly and one indirectly. Okay. So the directly one, to keep the focus on, um, on the drink, was the fact that when I was performing, inverted commas, in the pub, in the club, wherever, yeah. I was the centre of attention, either in a, in a good way, because I was entertaining the people because I did manage to hit that IC, for example, and, oh, that's great, Paul, and sing us some Irish folk songs and all this yeah. kind, you know, and all the old ladies are clapping and the Guinness was flowing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. that was a more <laughs> positive kind of slant on things. Or whether I was getting barred from the pub because I'd created havoc with a fight. Oh, gosh. Either way, I was significant. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. because it, and in a more indirect way, the fact that I would come off the drink because I had this mechanism, this this psychological mechanism, it was like flipping a light switch that said, right, okay. So I could tell you to the second when I would come off the drink. And that might be in the early days, six months later, during which time I'd lose relationships, I'd lose jobs, I'd end up on park benches. Oh. I would, I was, I was self-sabotaging. I had serious deservedness issues because of my upbringing, being told you're a load of crap boy, you'll never be anything. The world hates you. Look at you, you're vile. You know, even saying those words now, I'm mindful of not giving those, those words too much space, too much energy. Yeah. Because yeah. our friend, the subconscious is always listening. Yeah. Oh, what are you what what are you telling me now, Paul? What are you telling me? Oh, I'm picking up on this word, vile, yeah. disgusting. Yeah, okay, I don't, let I me put like those words. Absolutely, I get that one hundred percent, and we have to be so careful, listeners, do we not, around the language, the story we tell ourselves. But I'm using it in this context, obviously, Hina, to reinforce yeah. a a greater point that for me, well, the indirectly when I'd come off the drink, I would then do things like you've alluded to. I would raise shed loads of money for charity. I would go into, I really put myself to the sword physically. Something I still do, I train very, very, very hard. Now I haven't got the distraction of the drink. And I enjoy that, that constant search of, I don't know if search is even the right word, but you know, that striving mm. is the right word for being the highest version of me I can be, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. Yeah. That that continuous improvement. So what I would do when I was off the drink, myself imposed, and I couldn't sustain being off the drink because I needed that fix. But when I was off it, I would build things back up. I would contribute to charity. I'd get, you know, I got a teaching degree, a master's degree. I'd do all this good stuff, raise shed loads of money for charities, only to throw it all away again. Oh. And that that was the whole kind of, um, I suppose, topsy-turvy existence for certainly the biggest part of my life. So mm. that was my, how my need for significance was met. Moving on to the fourth one, love and connection. Mm. What's your thoughts around love and connection? Oh, gosh, that's a very big one for me, actually. Um, love and connection. I think that it's it's 
goes, it goes, it obviously a lot of these um, work hand in hand anyway, but I think it works a little bit for me with significance as well. So definitely because of my failed marriage and my failed marriage, by the way, was um, I actually pretended it wasn't for a very long time because I actually, I fell, fell in love at quite a young age, 18. And everybody said, that's too young, that's too young, Hina, you know, wait. And I was absolutely, no, 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 this is what I want to do. Um, so because I, and everybody just was thinking, just went on about it, like it's a fairy tale marriage. And so I really had to sort of put that face on and I pretended that was exactly how it was um, to the world although it wasn't, um, I was craving love um, and love and connection completely go hand in hand because it's, it, you you feel connected, it's your soul, your mind, when there's love, you, you feel connected. So I, I would sometimes, I would, sometimes I would find myself um, becoming a bit of a pleaser, you know, a people pleaser because I craved a bit of love and I craved uh, that connection. Um, you know, and I think, I think you can, you know, I've had some therapy to help me along with this as well. But I think it's something that can always be worked on, um, you know, bringing out the, the love in somebody. You, to love somebody, as they always say, you need to learn to love yourself. And when you've been through something as I had and those words, when you said them, and I'm going to say them again, just repeat a few here, just to give our listeners an idea of, what I was up against was, you know, I was constantly told I was useless. I was constantly told I was like the ugliest person in the world. And, you know, obviously my self-esteem, my confidence got trashed. Um, it was all about control and there was no love. I was craving love. So for me, when I had my two sons, it, it was, it just changed my life completely because that love I craved so much, I then got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The love and connection thing is a very interesting one because I think it's fair to say that a lot of people, listeners, will settle for connection rather than love because, you know, to quote a well-known song, love hurts or can hurt. Um, For me personally, I think it's a price worth paying. You know, if something works out, great. If it doesn't work out, great. But it's it's absolutely the greatest gift in this world, in my Mm. humble opinion. Yes. And, you know, whatever whatever path we take with whom, when, what, how to get there. Well, that's, that's having the faith to know that, you know, you'll get there. That pot of gold is there and it's my pot of gold. I, I might not know where it is yet, but I know it's there. That yeah. treasure is mine. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but a lot of people, I think it's fair to say that if they have a, an adverse emotional um, experience where love's concerned, they settle for connection because it's safer. Yeah. So I've got a thousand friends on Facebook is something yeah. I've heard regularly. Okay. Yeah. To which I report, I retort, and, and it's not from a judgment perspective. Mm-hmm. How many of those inverted commas friends can you ring up now because you feel crap? Yeah. You, feel, you want somebody to talk to, and you know that you can talk to that person. They're going to listen, and they're going to listen intently, and they're going to hold that space for you compassionately and lovingly. How many of those thousand? How many? Because if you can count them on one hand, you are an extremely lucky person. Yeah. Yeah. And but people do settle for that connection because it's safer. Yeah. 
yeah I think yeah that's a tricky one um I yeah I'm not I, I have I'm in a very similar situation I have a lot of acquaintances um and I you know have lots of connections but for me love is different um and I would say that I was more guarded and I have and I am guarded uh because obviously I don't want to be hurt again because that hurt that goes with love as you just said earlier but I think ultimately love conquers all yeah absolutely 100 percent so, I mean, we're kind of maybe uh, going a bit left field here, Hina, but that brings in then that C word of courage, doesn't it? You know, yeah. dare I, dare I go there where my mind's telling me, no, don't. That fear-driven mental capacity that say, no, deja vu, deja vu, been here before because he or she reminds me of him or her. Why is my heart telling me this? My heart's... You know, I think it was the Sioux tribe that actually coined the phrase, the longest journey we will ever take is the one between our head and our heart. Wow, yeah, yeah, yes, that, that is really well said. So it's that having that for me, and, and obviously listeners, I can only speak from my personal perspective rather than from some research or theoretical perspective. It is a question of courage. And, um, I, you know, we've already alluded to the fact, uh, Hina and I, that in our humble opinions, and that doesn't make it right, it doesn't make it wrong, it makes it our humble opinion and our truth yes. that it's yes. certainly it's certainly a journey that's worth embarking upon because that gift, that pot of gold called love, um, it does conquer all, absolutely does. There's no yeah. finer feeling. Yeah. Um, so, but so that's the love and the connection. So obviously, I was getting my uh, my love and connection. I was getting through my antics in drink because through my various um well antics I would attract ladies. Yeah. Um because they liked, you know, somebody that stood out, somebody that was different, somebody that was radical, somebody that was exciting, whether that was a fight or whether that was singing or or whatever other party trick. One of my other party tricks was I used to line the tables up and jump over like three or four tables oh, wow. um, lengthwise. How I ever did that, I don't know. I, I did come, <laughs> I did come unstuck a few times and ended up flat on the floor. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's by the by. But the point is, it created that that connection with people. Yeah. It created the connection that I'd got with the Irish fraternity for singing Irish, Irish ballad songs, even the old old dears that took them back to County Mayo sort of wow. 30, 40, 50 years ago. It gave me a great sense of connection. And because of my vulnerability and my insecurity, I needed that. Mm. It wasn't about them. It was about me. I was hurting. I was so hurting inside and felt like a little child. Yeah. that I just needed, I wanted to be loved. Yeah. I wanted love. And so that was my love and connection. Um, so that we, we, what we've done there, you know, we've, we've done the four basic core human needs. Interesting what you said earlier on about how peers go together. Yeah. So when you look at the way, or the way Robbins has depicted these, he puts it on a pair of scales. So one side of the scale, you've got certainty, and the other side of the scale, you've got uncertainty. Yes. And then it's shown as another pair of scales, a separate pair of scales, a matching pair of significance on one side, and then love and connection on the other side. 
So you've got two pair of scales there and they balance each other off. Yeah. Um, depending on, you know, it may be that, I don't know, some people haven't got as a priority the need for love and connection. Mm-hmm. So there's not, none of this is an exact science. Yeah. But at the same time, they're very, in my humble opinion, six very, very, very powerful pillars that guide us as to why we do the things in our life. And if they're not serving us, then we change those needs. And we can change those needs. Absolutely. And I think they, they'll change constantly throughout your life anyway. Your needs and, and you know, and love, it changes throughout your life in different things. So love in relationships, love in what you do, love in your work, love in your lifestyle. It will change throughout your life. Absolutely. So let's move on then to the the two higher spiritual needs. The penultimate one, the fifth one, is the need for growth. We need to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't necessarily agree with um, Robbins' definition of uh, if we're not growing, we're dying. Yes, yes. For me personally, I don't buy that. I think we can stand still. We're in inertia um but anyway that's by the by so this whole growth thing so how did drink how did the demon drink meet my need for growth Mm -hmm. it met my need for growth knowing that after three months six months whatever my self-imposed very very disciplined approach to drinking would be although i certainly wasn't drink uh, disciplined when i was drinking uh, far from it but knowing I would come off it. And when I come off it, boy, would I go to the other end of the spectrum. Wow. I would donate. If you've got a black cat, Ina, I've got two. If you've got six black cats, I've got ten. And my cats are blacker than your cat. <laughs> Interesting what you said about that competitiveness yes. earlier on. Yeah. Absolutely. It's took me a lot to let go of that. The competitive element I have now is with myself. Nobody else. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit competitive. I mean, as a as an entrepreneur, I think it's a little bit healthy. Uh, it definitely drives me and it keeps me going and helps me achieve my targets. But it shouldn't go so far that you're damaging and actually harming your own soul and being unkind mm-hmm. to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So the growth for me came in the form of, as I say, when I was coming off the drink, which I knew I would be, the you know be it three months it was in the earlier years it was six months um that i would give back and my terminology my self-talk at the time listeners was i have taken so much out of life i've upset so many people that love me care for me employers that gave me gave me work and i've upset them all i've ended up as i've said on park benches lost homes lost so-called friends the lot mm. um time to give back to build it all up again and I will grow and I will grow but I'll come back twice as strong mm-hmm. the only challenge with that was for 40 years I then fell twice as hard because Ugh. I'd sabotage it again oh. so that was my how my growth was met right what about yourself how was so, your growth so mine is very very clear so after my abusive marriage I finally had the courage um, we talked a little bit about courage um, and funny it's love and connection courage because it was actually my older son who just one day had his hands over his ears and that was it enough for me and that gave me the courage to make that step and that was it that's I thought that was it that's enough 
After that, um, everything comes fine. I start, I went into exhaustion because obviously trying to hold something together for so long and the amount of damage I've done to my own soul and my mind, I went into exhaustion and needed some help with that and some just, uh, yeah, just some, just some iodemic medication. And I talk about in my book of how my doctor, when I went to my doctor's rather than give me pills, he actually um, made me sit down and do some meditation. So that was incredible that many years ago. So I was very, very lucky. Then I fell ill. Um, I uh, just suddenly got alopecia um, and I'd lost a lot of my hair. Um, I'm, I'm okay now, thank you God. But I'm, I'm a, you know, it was terrible. So I went ahead and had some treatment. I lost my eyebrows. I lost my eyelashes. I went ahead and found a treatment and had them tattooed back on. So I looked quite normal again. But the thing, it just blew me away so much that I just thought, gosh, you know, I, my confidence was at an all time low. I, you know, my self-esteem had plummeted. And, I, and how it made me feel was just absolutely incredible. And I just thought, I want to do this. I want to make people feel like this. And that was when I then uh, turned uh, my career around and, and got into uh, permanent micropigmentation. Um, and now I'm a specialist, the UK specialist for medical tattooing. So that was definitely my area there. Wow. Wow. And then finally, going on to the, the highest ultimate human need is the need for contribution. Mm. I've already alluded to mine very simply was to kind of tied in with my growth that when I came off the drink, boy, would I give back, whether that was on a one to one emotionally starting a new relationship, giving everything possible to that relationship. Yeah. But actually knowing full well inside that I couldn't sustain it because I would sabotage it. Oh. I would throw it away. And the irony for that, that contribution, that emotional contribution, call it love, if you will, because that was the most stark, painful aspect of, of my contribution element. The fact that I was raising thousands, tens of thousands for charitable causes basically faded into total insignificance mm -hmm. to, to then know that I would build a warm, loving relationship with somebody, knowing deep inside that, one day I would sabotage it. I would destroy oh. it because I had deservedness issues. You know, those those words that we've already alluded to, and you know, as you say, let's not give them any more airtime, any more energy, because um, our friend the subconscious is listening. Yes. But that whole, that whole essence of, you know, you'll always fail, Paul, because you always have done. Oh, gosh. And it took some working through. So that was my negative, well, kind of bittersweet contribution experience, which was very, very drink influenced. Yeah. Any thoughts, any thoughts on that one, Hina? Yeah, again, exactly the same. They're both interlinked, aren't they? So with growth and contribution. Um, so my growth from uh, my permanent cosmetics, giving back, making people feel amazing, um, not just for things like that, but also um, I now deal with cancer patients, burn patients, um, self-harmers, and I literally go out of my way to make sure that I can get them to feel really confident or good about themselves. Um, you know, I've even had cancer patients just about to start chemotherapy, and um, I've had to be in at 7.30 in the morning uh, 
you know, in, this is about 90 miles away from my home. If I didn't, they wouldn't be able to have the treatment because once they start chemotherapy, but it was all about contribution for me. It was all about giving back. It was about, it was personal growth. It was about, it is about me, but it's also about giving back. It was that contribution. I, I feel amazing now and I didn't once and I want everybody to, well, I want to try and help everybody feel the same way if they were feeling stuck in that place as I was once. Mm. You raised an interesting point there, Hina, about it's about you. And um, I quote one of my uh, one of my former mentors, uh, a world change expert called Richard Gerver. And Richard talks uh, very passionately, very consistently about giving and how it is essentially a selfish act. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Because I think there's this whole label of when we use that selfish word that this negative connotation well we don't like we don't like to be accused of being selfish but what's wrong with that because yeah. when i look back on my own journey of you know the stuff i was doing charitably it was selfish it wasn't i mean yeah okay a lot of people benefited but essentially it was about my healing it was my journey i didn't know this at the time yeah. Because I didn't have the emotion or the intellectual maturity to understand what was going off, as I've already alluded to. I was in survival mode and I was doing things. I was picking up things and, 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 cl and clutching at straws that made me feel okay. What yeah. they were or why I was doing it, I hadn't got a clue. I was just doing it. But now, as the years have gone by, listeners, and I've, I've, you know, I've kind of researched this, and I've, you know, practiced theory against, uh, well, theory against practice, you know, um, what really works is this just some nice fancy theory, or does this really hold water? Well, for me, the six human needs massively hold water, um, but let's be under no illusions, and let's totally accept it's okay for it to be about us first. Because without us being the best that we can be, what have we got to give to anybody else anyway? Absolutely. 100%. I really do agree with that. It took me a very long time to realise that. But it is so important. Um, you know, I mentioned this on our last podcast, but in the last two years, I finally managed to get to that space. And it's taken a very long time because it's a lot of self-work, self-reflection um, and working with emotions and all of those needs. And understanding that it's everything, whatever it is, is okay. Um, you have to learn to feel so comfortable with your emotions, your uh, all of those needs. You know, you need to understand that it's completely normal if they're whichever scale they're at. Absolutely, yeah. It's that self acceptance, isn't it? And, yes. You know, to to quote uh, Louise, the greatest gift of all is the self love. And then when we've got that, boy, are we rich. Are that's, we rich? Yes, that's so. right. Yes. So um, I want you to have the last word, Hina. Um, any thoughts? So what I think what we've done there, listeners, I hope you agree, is we've created a solid foundation around the, the six human needs, certainly an insight, a good insight around the six elements. Um, what I'd like to do, Hina, is for us to sort of regroup then and do individual episodes where we deep dive on each of those six Definitely, um, that would be great. But, but before we do that, I would like you to basically summarise any thoughts, feelings. Wouldn't it be interesting if you shared what needed been met by this conversation? Every time you have these conversations, when I wrote my book, I think it's self-healing. It's, you know, it makes you reflect. And, you know, one thing we forget 
is to actually look at how far we've come. And um, when we're talking about this, and I'm sitting here, um, you know, we're doing this podcast, it's making me think, gosh, look where I am right now. It's so relaxed, you know, I, I, there's no pressure anywhere. Well, there's lots of pressure around the world, but I'm all about in myself, you know, within. Um, so yes, just really realize sometimes we don't look back. They say, don't look back, but only look back when you're looking to see how far you've come. Absolutely, yeah. So if I could just close by offering my uh, my own insight around just this simple, um, and I use that word loosely, conversation between two like-minded spirits, what, it, what it's given me in terms of my six human needs. And this is the power of words, listeners, and this is the power of talking, this release of energy. So my need for certainty. I was embarking upon a, this podcast conversation knowing that I know around the six human needs. It's something that I've delved into and I know around the six human needs at a very, very deep level from a theory and from a practical point of view. So this was going to be a very certain conversation for me, which made me feel good. So, what, okay, Paul, well, what about your uncertainty? Well, I don't know what Hina's going to say. She could say anything in response to anything we talk about. That's out of my control. I love that. I love it when I'm challenged and something's out of my control. Because if, if we have too much certainty, it's boring. There's no growth in there. So that also met my, my need for, for uncertainty and variety. What about my need for significance? My need for significance has been met at a very high level as well because I, because I know my subject matter, because I've had a previous conversation and uh, conversations with Hina, I knew that we would click, we would resonate, we're aligned. That makes me feel good. That gives me license to be significant rather than approaching a conversation in a relationship where I don't know who this person is, where he or she... And, you know, so all of a sudden I've got some significance because I know my subject matter and I'm secure in the dynamic of our, our professional relationship. That makes me feel significant. What about the love and connection then? The love and connection. We have a love for contribution. I, have, I, I really do feel we've got a very aligned love of the universe generally, but more specifically, Hina and I, in my humble opinion, connect very well because we've got a shared outlook around contribution. We've got a glue, if you will, that that share that we share at a deep level, and we'll, we'll unfold that more as the uh, the uh, subsequent podcast episodes come to light. So there's the first four. What about growth? There's growth in this because we're sharing insights, we're sharing vulnerabilities, we're sharing emotions. You know, the whole kind of dance, as I call it, that's unfolding in these kind of podcast conversations. There's gr immense growth, in not just in this conversation, but in conversations generally. Because if there's not growth, then why would you have that conversation with someone? And then the ultimate one is the contribution. And I think at that point, listeners, Hina and I have tried to contribute with these shared insights for the benefit of the listener. So I think it's very appropriate to hand it over to you listeners and you decide whether we've contributed or not, which adds to our uncertainty. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Hina, thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. 
And listeners, all that remains now is for, for me to sign off as we do by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the game's ever-changing. How will you master it?